now the game is on. Once again, the head game in the arena. Questioning answers, answering questions, Dr. Lee Piccarillo. Good morning, Foxy. How are you? All right. How's my how's my how's my good morning coming along, Jesse? You're relatively new to the head game. Is that give it a hey now? Hey now! I try not to be too. Like, hi, good morning, Foxy. Good morning, hi, good morning, Foxy. You got to have that. They call a smile on your voice. Yeah, you have to smile when you say it. Do it again. A little. Hey now. Good morning, Foxy. Yeah. Hey now. You got that feel warmer? Yeah. But yes. we don't want to. We don't want to be pushing our voice like "Hi, everybody." Yeah. You don't I'm trying that, to no. do my Stuart Scott smooth. No, excuse Ooh, yeah. me. Cool as the other side of the pillow. Mm. Yeah. That one always resonated with me. Mm-hmm. I was like Mike Lang shoots and scars. I always like for the Pen- Pittsburgh Penguins. You ever hear that guy? No. Yeah. Beat him like a rented mule. Yeah, I like to tell you a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know what I took notice of last night at the Sixers game is the creativity that the announcers put into uh, when Sixers score. You know, there's a lot of sound effects. There's an echo effect. Almost too much. Almost too much. But when the other team scores, it's crickets. Yeah, Lee Pick for two. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's 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 very creative. Are you it, kidding uh, me? And uh, it's great psychologically, though. It's great because you're you know because the air comes out of the building when the other team makes the shot. Yeah, kind of sounded. And uh, we were very very close to all winning a um, uh, not a smoothie, a Wendy's. Yeah. Um, God, what are Frosty. They Thank you. Clearly, Wendy's is not a head game sponsor. No, it will be. They will be. Um, as will Dunkin' Donuts. Everyone oh. runs on Dunkin'. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that, too. <laughs> because if everyone runs let's on Dunkin', then, then then let's just keep on going with the sponsors. I like, wish they played like Tim Duncan. Yeah. There's oh. not too many of those guys anymore. So today's show is all about the future of the game. And why has baseball turned so, say it with me, Jesse, analytical? And what we're going to be looking at today is our own Gabe Kapler and the Philadelphia Phillies, their process. Do we trust it? Do we trust their process, Jesse? I'm not quite sure. The the, yeah. the the early verdict is yes. When you think about numbers, you think of Bryce Harper. He rang the bell last night at the Sixers game, by the way, just in case anyone who didn't know that. Now you know. Um, is the eye test of the scout of the director of player personnel, player development, the GM, is it outdated? Is it overrated? Is it something that is still as true as it once was 20, 30, 40 years ago? Back in Foxy's era. Ooh, back in Sorry, the day, Foxy. man. And how do analytics give us a mental advantage? Does it help the player? When they rely on the numbers, when they educate themselves on the numbers, can it hurt them? The help versus hurt. The Sabre Analytics panel that I sat on in on at the conference early in March in Phoenix was entitled The Game Within the Game, When Data-Driven Decisions Impact Baseball. And how do analytics, in fact, can they make us better? Better as people who watch is it a different reason to watch? We're going to be hearing from StatCast, which is the next movement in statistical analysis in the game of baseball. And then we're going to just take a full step back, just like last week, maybe another three-step pointer behind the line, and ask ourselves, are analytics ruining the game? So before we get into all of that, we're going to start off with a little morning mindful news. Jesse Ferdinand is here again. 
She's present. She's Thank attentive. You. She's accounted for. Good morning. Good morning. So what do you have on tap for us today? So I figured I'd do a quick Philly sports recap, and then I move into March Madness, and then I'll finish my segment. Ooh. Oh, God. You got me, all, got me all excited. <laughs> you, you give me the trifecta. I'll, I know. This is no. exciting. Anytime I can use the, anytime I can use the word quote. trifecta, I get excited. Go right all ahead. Right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get going. The so stage the Phillies, is yours. The Phillies, after the loss to the Nationals on Wednesday, their overall record is now 4-1. and one. There goes our undefeated season. Yep. The process. Now, 162-0 is not an option. That's okay, though. The six, well, no, because the Sixers also last la- lost last night yes, they did. with a score of 128 to 122, which you can see, you can say because you saw it live. Yes, I was there. And, and, was and it, it as horrible as it was to watch on TV? It, it, it was, um, you had a sense that the last few minutes were going to slip away, and that's exactly what happened. We were up by two at the half. Uh, Milwaukee would not go away. The Greek freak is everything uh, as advertised and then some. Um, and we just couldn't really put together a consistent run. The The telling statistic for me, because today is all about analytics and the numbers, is the Milwaukee Brewers, I believe, had 43 foul shots and made 36. And the we can fact check this, by the way. Yeah. The Sixers were sixteen for eighteen for the line, so they actually um, had twice as many points at the line. And uh, there lies the the, the the bottom line. When that happens, it you're going to lose. All comes down to foul shots. All comes down to foul shots. Well, either way, March second was the last time that we lost at home. So you know, we thought we were going to get our fiftieth win today or last night. I did not know that, that that was potentially the 50th. Yeah. Didn't, didn't do that math. Yeah. Missed that one. Well, I didn't either. <laughs> I just know that. Also, the playoffs begin April 13th. So, hopefully, this is just them playing until the playoffs. Three remaining games, two of which are yeah. against the Bulls. Well, and they need hope, to hopefully they need the to secure that third spot, which I believe would put us against the Pistons. I believe. If the math if the math holds true. Three yeah. three versus six. Yeah. Now we move into March Madness. The final four is here. We're going to be playing on Saturday. Number five, Auburn versus number one, Virginia. Number three, People Texas are calling Tech. for an upset on that. I don't know. Oh, I'd call that upset. Okay. Yeah. You're calling it? Yeah. I'll All right. call it right now. Number three, Texas Tech versus number two, Michigan State. <sighs> I don't really have any further comments on the March Madness Do you guys. Well, I mean, I, I think what's you know relevant about March Med, it's in Minneapolis, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why the twins are here. Yeah, there you go. Obser- Foxy's Foxy's observations—they just w- just just He's when like, you think, obviously, that's why. The obviously, twins that's why the twins are in town. Lee. That's right, get them out of town. Right, get them out of town. It's all about the traffic, man. It's all about traffic control. I think the the when we talk about today's topic equals won the Super Bowl, the future of the game. Yeah. Think about the Final Four and the the hype behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people that attend. We've actually done in past shows a statistical review of how cities are impacted by things like the Super Bowl, the World Series. Final Four is no different. That's that's their Super Bowl, right? That's yeah. that's the where all the hoopla goes down. And um, as we mentioned last week. Certain players in particular can put themselves on the map as a future star on how they perform on this stretch run. 
And I think that has a lot to do with the pressure that they're under and how well they can either rise to the top or um, take, a, take a step back and be more comfortable with someone else driving. Yeah. So. Well, to finish, I decided to quote Moneyball by Michael Lewis. Go. Have you read that yet? I feel like, no. Should read it. I should read it. Yes, you should. You're a statistical gal. You're all about baseball. Read Moneyball. Although it's one line. Go ahead. That's okay. If you challenge the conventional wisdom, you will find ways to do things much better than they are currently done. Analytics. And what's your interpretation of that? Analytics. Analytics. (laughs) In challenging conventional wisdom. Are there different That's ways? That's like the eye test to me, and then when they say you'll find ways to do things much better than they are currently done, is bringing in statistics to help you with your eye test. Foxy, let's go to number one. This is a shorter clip, but it kind of uh, speaks to Jesse's point. This is the baseball's latest statistical revolution. You mentioned the number 755, and someone's going to say, Hank Aaron, career home runs. That's it. Here comes your first play. Roger Maris, 1961, hit 61 homers. 511, career wins for Cy Young. So every play, there are numbers there to tell a story. And the stat cast part of it helps you see, you know, some cool numbers. How fast was that play? How hard was that throw? How long was that ball hit? I know it's cutting-edge technology, but in terms of embracing statistics, it's always been a part of the game. We're just going next level now. We're did, just going less, next level now. Did, did, did you know that Cy Young had 511 wins? No. I did. Foxy did. I don't think anyone, um, I'll say 40 or younger, knows that statistic. I think that is mind-boggling. I, I mean, that's why they named the award after. Yes, but 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 when when you grow up saying, "Oh, who won the Cy Young?" Cy Young. Oh, okay, yeah, right, you right. Just know who won the Cy Young? Young. You, you know who wins it? Yeah. When I heard that, that, that's Steve Carlton won several times. Yes, and and when you think about you know how statistics have shaped the game, how they've evolved when you think about wins above replacement and the war, which is really the the, the gold standard of most valuable mm-hmm. of how statistics are looked at in today's game. And then you just go back to wins. Just how many times does someone actually get handed the baseball and three hours later they win? And it's just that simple. It's just that clean. It's, it's just that it's that purest indication, right? If you think about the bottom line that still impacts the game, uh, basketball, football, baseball, wins and losses, championships, number of rings, uh, what constitutes a, a winning organization, the culture, the dynasty, winning percentage, overtime, consistency, wins versus losses. So I just I, th- I think that stat really kind of jumped out at me. Because with so many of those in today's world, um, that's, I think, an example of how analytics can potentially give, uh, actually make players better. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts about that? I'm just thinking about the Phillies right now. You are? Yeah. You're just, well, what do we, well don't keep it all to yourself. I know. What are I you was thinking? keeping it to myself. Something you said, like my, I, the something about the culture, it made yes. me think of like, okay, so what's the Phillies culture? Where are we at right now? Mm-hmm. And I kind of wanted to figure that out. I actually couldn't figure out any clips 
specifically, I, I was hoping maybe I'll make a video of the Phillies process. By the way, considering, because I know that you sent me a quick memo on uh, it, this week's search was a little bit more difficult than usual, you yeah. did a really good job. Thanks. Of, of just it was. Of, I, I had to because it's not easy because you can see the titles of clips and say, okay, that looks interesting. But you know, the game within the game for you, Jesse, to actually go in and find that thirty to sixty mm. second gold nugget, mm-hmm. you did a really nice job this week, and I think that's gonna, I think that's gonna shine through. So when Thanks. you think about, well, you're welcome. Yeah, you know, it's what I can do. You know, that's nice in the morning. Well, you know, I I, I was actually driving in and uh, I heard uh, I heard you guys talking about you know only one half of the head game was here, and I said, huh. I wonder how Jesse's feeling right now. Maybe I just won't show. Maybe, I was about to just take may, over. Maybe I'll just go to breakfast. Job. Maybe I'll just go get two eggs over easy. Go lift, weights with, go lift weights with Coach Cal. And but, that's not, but, that's, but that's not in my best interest. Because what's in my best interest right now is because I think it's that time. Because Foxy prompted me. Uh-oh. I think we need to record your laugh, Cal, <laughs> just so we can play it as a, as a random soundbite. Yeah. Because I think mm. it's I think it would fit in so nicely. It's a little creepy yet. It's but it's endearing, yeah. Jesse. Yeah, it's, it's not endearing. it's not scary. It's, a, it's yeah. warm. Yes, like, we have oh, to. Cal's it, it, here. It is. Cal's here. <laughs> he always chant, He comes in with that. He does transition. It's supposed to be fun, right? Good morning, Coach. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good, man. Everyone runs on Dunkin'. It's all about Dunkin' Donuts today, man. That's, <laughs> that's our, oh, yeah? the newest the newest head game sponsor. Yeah, they're right down the street. Why not? I mean, right? Big, big sponsor. I've been waiting on Mountain Dew for two-plus years. I mean, I, I had Merrill clear the lot. We got a brand-new paved area so the 18-wheeler can roll back in here. Can you imagine the Mountain Dew party that we would have? The, 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 the intensity of the head game. Uh, what, what's what's your what's your best old school soda that nobody really knows about Coach Cal liking? Old school soda. Old school soda. No man. Uh, Give me one. I I used to like uh, I used to like a little uh, orange crush and grape soda back in the day. All right. I don't know if I have a okay a favorite. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's good. You know. Was it Fanta? Bristol, right. Something like that. Fanta. Fanta. Ooh, Fanta. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, Fanta Fanta, Fanta Fanta, yeah, yeah, Fanta, you know. Fanta. <laughs> I, I and th- and this is not uh, and this is not you know going towards the you know the sponsorship in any way, shape, or form. But I was one of the original Mountain Dew followers. I had actually highlighted prior commercials of Mountain Dew um, on past shows. Because it had that oh. much of an impact, to me. You know, there was the the, okay. the, the teenagers that kind of it looks like they're cutting school, and the guys have got the cut off jeans, and they jump off of some type of ravine, and it's a guy and a girl hand in hand, and it's give me a mountain, nothing to do. It wasn't Spicoli uh, in that? <laughs> no, that was that was not Spicoli. Oh, gnarly! Man. No, that was. I not wish so I could be in this conversation. Speaking <laughs> so, so well, if you you have to have seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Mm-mm. Oh God, Mm-mm. that's 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 a bucket list. That's something that you need to do. So, Coach Cal, today's game is all about the future of the game. Why has baseball turned so analytical? And, you know, to not just speak about our own Gabe Kapler and, you know, our first place Philadelphia Phillies, it certainly looks as if, uh, I'm just going to get right to the point, people are already starting to say with this particular lineup and the additions that the Phillies have made in the offseason, Gabe Kapler, all he has to do 
is post that lineup card once and sit back and let everyone just do what they do. What are your thoughts, sir? <laughs> I think it would be great if it was that easy. <laughs> A lot of coaches would make lots of money and be very successful and be able to write lots of books and do lots of podcasts and talk about how they just got the right lineup. But to your topic and to your question, um, I think these kinds of things with regard to analytics have been going on by good coaches forever. Now we just have an incredible ability with technology to assess so many different things. Um, so you know, when I look back to when, when we played ball, you know, my, my dad, I played against my dad, actually. So uh, in situations where I, I got to observe my dad growing up as a coach and then play against him, maybe because he's a ma- he was a math teacher as well, but he was always analyzing every situation. And he always knew where certain people would hit the ball and how to, you know, what pitches people couldn't hit. So he would always put shifts on and, you know, all kinds of stuff with regard to his, his coaching uh, with baseball. And I think now his mind would just be blown because he was also a computer teacher. So he was math and computers. If you put those both together, he would be out of his mind because he would be analyzing everything. So he would be the guy to go to in this situation where, okay, who do we want to go and, and recruit? How much should we offer this guy? Because we know he's really not that effective in this situation, or we do know he's effective in this situation, and we really need that. So, do, you know, what do I think about the whole analytics and putting that lineup up together? I think there's definitely value in it. Um, but I also think that at some point you also have to use logic as well. You can't always just base everything on numbers. And I know math teachers aren't going to want to hear that because they think they can solve every problem in the world using math and make all the right decisions just based on numbers. Um, but I think it's, I really do think it's something that's been going on. I think it's at a, a greater extent now because of technology. I think it has helped teams like the Phillies. Um, there's a couple other teams. I think, uh, I think even the, I think the Astros might be another team that's been real big with the. Yes, the, the Astros the actually, actually they have been really a pioneer. Yeah. Um, and yeah. have, yes, yeah, they, they won have. the World Series because of it. Yes. Well, I mean, the, the attention that they got, you always get more attention, right? When you actually win it all. But no, yeah. they, uh, they make very careful selections. And they're also, um, we have a clip that we're going to be listening to them later. They also okay. emphasize, uh, they're very holistic in their approach as well, which, you know, which is wonderful okay. news for, you yeah. know, uh, head game, uh, co-hosts and uh, mindful athlete training because we're, we're constantly promoting this idea of how we all should be working together and it, it's nice that to say everyone should be playing in the sandbox together it's such it's such harmony it, it looks so well it, 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 it gives everyone such a, a positive warm fuzzy feeling but i think there's still some exclusivity in how athletes are being trained uh, the, the extent that player development is embracing it even our own Philadelphia Phillies, um, they have a, a, a holistic, um, they have a proprietary software system that actually is called Phil. Did you know this? No. I'm, I'm going to call Jesse to the mat. Oh, she's the all- Phillies have their own kind of stat cast? Uh, kind of. Uh, I'm not going to call it Statcast because when, because when I think Stat, don't go looking it up. No, 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 no. You're gonna you're gonna <laughs> listen gonna to me. It. I don't, you're go- don't you, sure? you dare Google it. <laughs> you're going to listen to me, old school. 
We're going to have a conversation. Cal, don't you think I should Google it? Absolutely not. <laughs> Phil stands for, are you ready for this? Yeah. I actually wrote it down. Oh, okay. Phillies Holistic in Intentional. Well. Um, now I'm falling flat on my face. Oh, uh, something. You better look it up, Jeff. Yeah. You better look it up, Jeff. <laughs> See, I, you know, I got all derailed, man, because she went right to the computer. She messed you up. She did. She did. I had a game time moment right there. I got. I, I was dug deep in the box, Cal. I was expecting the fastball down the middle, and right. I got the. Ch- what did I get, Foxy? Did I get the changeup? You, change you, you would you get, get a very up. stern lecture from Tom Rizzo right now because you lost focus right now. I did. Well, I always try to model all aspects of what I teach. You see. Uh huh. Right. So, Cal, when you hear things about analytics and how they impact the bottom line. Jesse, you just let me know when you get that Phil acronym up and ready to rock. Is it, uh-huh. is it P-H-I-L? It's P-H-I-L. Yeah. It's, it was deep in the research. I found it in an article. Yeah, I can't find it. I have to Google. Go ahead. Go right ahead. Google. You do that. Cal, when we talk about analytics and we talk about how um, numbers just impact performance, talk to me a little bit about what you do at the Kalinowski Performance Academy. One of the first things that I remember going into your place in Yardley is, I think I think it's still up there, is the Beat Coach Cal. And I th- and I think you have uh, a uh, again another opportunity for me to use my favorite word word trifecta three different numbers that uh, all kind of stacked together equate to uh, the I won't say the overall strength of an athlete but how do numbers drive what you do how do you apply them to your athletes for, for performance it's a great question and and I was going to talk about that too but I, I wanted to wait and see where our conversation went the the numbers um that we use when it comes to an athlete's performance in particular we'll go with the deadlift we'll go with the squat we'll go with the bench and in some cases depending on the uh, ability and level of the athlete we'll go with the clean as well and these are all power and strength based so they're more um more important for certain sports or more important for certain positions we'll also go with a vertical jump we'll go with a broad jump we look at things like, uh, you know, you're, you're 20, you're 40. Um, we'll take different tests like a, a pro shuttle, a three-cone test, um, a, a med ball toss. And all these things are telling us things about how the athlete performs from a standpoint of strength, power, acceleration, speed, change of direction, things like that. So the way we use them, we're not going to say, you know, an athlete that has, you know, top numbers in each one of these is going to be a great athlete. In many cases, it will greatly enhance their performance on the field or on the court, but there have also been many athletes that have been outstanding in the weight room, outstanding when we do our, tra- our, our training for, for movement and, and testing for movement that don't always pan out on the field because they don't have the ability to play the sport at that you know top level. So there are specimen in the weight room. They're very good at training. Um, and they're very good at getting results training. But if they don't have the ability to play the sport or play the position at that upper level, they don't necessarily make it to the upper level. But what we do with those numbers is it helps us determine where they need to improve. So if uh, we're not seeing a a progression that's um, what we expected or significant enough in in certain lifts or uh, certain times on on their, uh, their testing, then we know that we need to make some changes in their training. And I think this is one of the things that 
a lot of people do wrong is that they'll they'll design a program and everybody does the same program. Well, in those situations, some people are going to get great results. Some people are going to get moderate results. Some people are going to get no results, and some people are going to get hurt. So the idea behind these numbers, the way we use them, is to see how the person's progressing based on what phase of training that we're going through. And like I said, it'll correlate to enhancing their performance, and we definitely get into sports specifics with what we do. Um, but we're really about maximizing that individual's potential. So, we, and so let me just let me... Analytics, Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. With Continue. The, analytics, the, the value of the analytics is one of the things that you can look at, too, is um, if you look at you know an athlete, let's say somebody who's coming off of rehab, and you know now you're you're analyzing their uh, their ability to drive the ball, so that velocity of the ball coming off the bat or something like that, and it's not where it was before the injury. Yeah, this is the that direction I wanted you to go. So go ahead. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. so, we've done some research about how it helps people indicate when they're coming back on the the road to recovery where they where they once were because you have that baseline. Continue. Yeah. So. In that in that situation, if they're not getting the, the same pop off the bat, you know the, that ball's not leaving, you know that bat with the same kind of velocity, or or a pitcher's not, you know, thrown with the same type of velocity. Now your athletic trainer and or your strength coach can say, okay, these are the things that we need to work on to get this person to where they were or better than where they were. And there's still time to do it in season, depending on you know how much season's left. But that's one of the values of the analytics too. I mean. We can go and do all the kind of testing that, that we want in, you know, in the weight room. But what it really comes down to, and this is true for, you know, every athlete, every sport, is what can you do on the field? And if you're, you know, if you're deficient, then that's where a good strength coach can say, okay, these are the kinds of things that we need to start working into your training. All right? It's not just all about making you a power lifter. It's not all about just being able to squat well, deadlift well, and, and clean well. All right? We need to do things that are important for, uh, your individual needs, whether it's unilateral movement, whether it's rotational power, you know, whatever it might be. Um, a good strength coach, somebody that understands the science behind exercise science, somebody who understands the, the science behind the sport, the position, will be able to say, okay, these are the things that we want to put into your training now, and it's going to make you better. So that's the value of analytics for what we do. And, and you know, what I okay. find interesting about those points are more often than not when you think about analytics impacting the game there's two there's two very polarizing opinions people are not really on the fence you either agree with it or you think it's not a bad it's not a good idea but this is what i find so interesting there isn't really that argument in your physical world no Right. So so when you think about how stats impact the game in our topic today, the future of the game and why baseball has turned so analytical, why do you think there's the other side of the coin that people don't approve of analytics in the game of baseball? I think, you know, you you have some purists, uh, some you know people that are are really traditional. I think you also have some people that... um, or maybe don't understand technology or are afraid of technology. Um, I've also heard people call say refer to it as geek ball now because there's so much technology used in making decisions rather than um, uh, you know making decisions on the field based on what you see. So I, I think you just have some people 
that don't understand it. I think you have some people that um, don't realize that, like I said, these kinds of things were happening already. There just wasn't that much technology back then. Like uh, the example I gave you with my dad, I could not hit a lefty slider. And when I played against him, and I'm going to give props to Ray, Ray Seifert, Ray Seifert. He had a great. He had a great lefty slider. Ray Seifert beat me in the softball toss at Warren Snyder you Elementary. Know. You remember that that comp- the, the red and gray day? We went yeah, all to Bristol High, sixth grade. Man, yeah. I thought I was going to take home the crown, and he friggin' crushed me. Uh, Thank you for bringing time. up that bad memory. Yeah, Kyle. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to open up that wound. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. <laughs> so, so every time we played against them, who did we see? We saw Ray Seifert. And he was throwing nothing but lefty sliders to me. And if I was lucky, I fouled a couple of them off. I just could not hit that kid's pitch. But my point is, good coaches have been doing this for a long time. Good managers have been you know, doing this kind of stuff for a long time. But we just didn't have the technology. And I think that's, that's what scares a lot of people is they fear that um, because they don't understand the technology, there's so many things that can be analyzed and that it may hurt the sport because – now you know so much about people, you know you know so much about your opponents. But you know, I think you know, long and short of it, it it, can, it could really help the sport in in a lot of ways. And you know, like you guys brought up earlier with the Phillies, it it's helping them make really good decisions with regard to their lineup. But these guys still have to go out and perform for you know from February to hopefully October. So you know, the, you can have all the analytics you want. They still got to go out there and do the job. Coach Cal, we got 30 seconds. Give me some of your good stuff, man, to get me through the back half of the hour. <laughs> well, well, first of all, don't let that uh, red and gray day mess you up too much. Yeah, I mean, that's just, uh, you know, Ray Seifert, man. He also went, he also took me deep on opening day. You know, when you get to walk through town, and, and I was the, the opening day pitcher, the starting pitcher. First pitch uh-huh. of the game, I grooved my best fastball. Ray takes it deep off the right center wall. Dude, I, I don't know how I'm going to be able to function today, man. Between that and the softball toss. Well, wow. You took me back, you man. Up, you went up against a, a great opponent. I you did. You gave it your best. You gave it your best. I'm still banged and up about that Phil thing that Jesse, of course, found online when she busted out her computer. Between yeah, that and Ray Seifert, man, I don't know. You I was might, trying to distract you. I was trying to get you away from Phil by talking about Ray. Motivate uh, me, man. Come on. You got some You got some, right. you got some. some Olympic music in the background. Hit me. We got some Olympic music? I like that. Yeah, man. All right. So so for today, with regard to the things that we've been talking about with analytics, and this goes out to the people that are really against it, don't be afraid of learning new things. Don't be afraid of challenging yourself. Don't be afraid of your failures. Look at things analyze things no pun intended analyze things and try to grow from every situation that you have in your life because if you don't you're going to be set back you get complacent and you're going to watch a lot of other people go ahead of you and in life there's no reason to sit back and, and let people beat you when you have an opportunity to be your best because every day you wake up you should try to be your best Coach Cal, as per usual, thank you, sir, for your passion and your wisdom. KPA, Coach Cal's Corner. We will talk to you next week, my man. Have a great weekend. All right. Y'all have a great one. All right, man. Be good. The head game continues in the arena with Dr. Lee Piccarillo. And Jessica. And Jess. And Jess. (laughs) Yes. 
So I think we're going to shift over to Alex Rodriguez, if you don't mind, number five. Well, five. Clip. Okay. Is it five it's or four? It's a good use of analytics in baseball. It's five, Foxy. Okay. Yeah. All right, ready to roll with it? Okay, let's do it. The game, though, has changed not only since then, but even since you've played a little bit. There's so much data. There's so much analytics now. We know just about everything. Defensive shifts, you name it. What do you make of the changes we've seen in baseball? Not over the last 40 years, but even the last 10 years. I think it's good and bad. And I think sabermetrics is great, and there's an enormous space for it in baseball. I I just think it's not everything at all. Baseball is a human game. there's a heartbeat involved, there's moods, there's injuries, uh, there's character, uh, there's DNA. And, you know, you take a guy like Johnny Damon, who was uh, my teammate, uh, one of the main reasons why we were world champs in 09. And if you just get a scorecard or if you just put algorithms about who is Johnny Damon, he's going to come out kind of middle of the road, just like Dustin Pedroia. But when you kind of reveal everything that they have to um, offer, they, they become A-plus players. Right. So you have to be careful not to just lean on sabermetrics 100%. You have to use it, but also use judgment and use your eyes. Like a good point guard, you can't forget to look up. I was never particularly fond of A-Rod as a player, um, but I think the point that he makes there has significant depth, especially when he talks, case in point, like Johnny Damon. Mm-hmm. When you think about him statistically, very mid-range, maybe slightly above average, but then it all comes back to what? What would you define about Johnny Damon, Jesse, that is contributing to the value that A-Rod is speaking of? This scenario reminds me of, I feel like we might have an example of this, of DeGrom pitching, he, he like, outstanding. But on paper, you would be like, this guy, this guy stinks. So why is that, right? What, what do you think this is... This is the positive of analytics. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the positive now of sabermetrics and that because you're able to see further in than the eye test. Correct. Yeah. Because when you look at something like what someone might appear on paper as it relates to the numbers that they're producing, it doesn't fully encapsulate their presence, their contribution, um, what we call at Mindful Athlete, the intangibles. Mm -hmm. And the intangibles impact the quantifiable stuff. And what we're trying to do at Mindful Athlete, what we've taken to professional baseball, what we've taken to Sabre, um, is if we can somehow encapsulate the value of all the other stuff that the eyes tell us are impacting the numbers, that's gold. But the more that we discuss it and holistically explore the relationship of all factors, that, I believe, is the one key to helping the masses better accept and more fully understand the value of the statistics. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't pull in the other stuff, if you don't look an athlete holistically, if you overlook the intangibles, then you just get back to the plain Jane numbers, which then allows more for the great debate back and forth, right? Foxy, let's go to number three. Um, are analytics killing baseball? It doesn't matter if I've never stepped on a field or played 20 years in the bid leads you can still understand baseball without ever playing the game. 
Even recently, when Jacob deGrom won the Cy Young Award, I've seen people say he should not have won the award because of his record. Now, deGrom's record wasn't great, but it's not his fault he doesn't get run support. Statistically, deGrom had one of the best pitching seasons we have seen in decades. But I think when you bring up analytics to fans who don't like it, or older fans in general, they are legitimately scared. I don't mean like trembling in fear or anything, but they will just brush it off or ignore it. And I think they are scared because behind all the numbers, there is change. Like Coach Cal said, fear, they're all scared. I think there's another part to mention this. It's the athletes that don't like it as well. The older ones, the veterans who have been doing well because they're... It's hard for them to rationalize. Why should I integrate this new technology when I'm a Cy Young winner or but when I'm an MVP? I, I agree with you, but the, I think the hidden value of this young gentleman's clip, mm-hmm. aside from the groovy music, and it sounds like he's reading off of a cue card, yeah. aside from that subtle imbalance, I think the the nugget within his, his message is it reflects change. Mm-hmm. And this psychologically... That we could do an entire series on. Change is one of those very rare mechanisms that always resists itself when you initiate it. How often do we do something different and it's positively reinforced? As compared to the number of times that we actually try to do something, positive reinforcement with change is very small. Therefore, the mass majority of the time, change is negatively reinforced. And what does that do? It drives us right back to what we always do, which is what most people call complacency. This is, this is the, the impact that the, the herd mentality, as Brian Kenny from the MLB Network writes in his book, Ahead of the Curve, he speaks of that. Man on first, nobody out. You need one run. What do people do? They bunt them over. But when you put someone on second with one out, the run expectancy actually drops two whole tenths versus man on first with no one out. Why do people still bunt someone over? Because it's the herd mentality. It's comfortable, which means they're resisting change and going back to what they know, even the face in the face of statistics. And that's the bottom line of what we're discussing. And I think that's the real jewel in this prior clip, is they're talking about change. It was shown through the Phillies this year, or last year, when Gabe Kapler came in, and he started to implement this analytical Phillies organization. Like, everybody, almost everybody spoke out, no, we don't want that. Right. And that's why... Well, even even to this day, there's more resistance. There's more rebuke of any idea that's being seen as by some. Uh, there, what was the Phillies caption last year that were all over billboards? Let's see how we'll get you on your Phillies history. And no, this is something that you can you can't Google. It was two words. It was their mantra that they began in spring season and spring training. Do you know Foxy? It's my mantra: be old. I mean, be bold. Oh, Foxy, my man, Be Foxy, bold. man. Be bold. I did know that. You did know that, yeah. but you forgot it, and that's okay. But they weren't bold. But about, but, but, but the notion behind it got him in trouble early, because I think he was so consumed in. A, Kapler got a lot of criticism because he didn't have prior managerial experience. So aside from that factoid, if you get attacked for something that you're not. 
what is human nature going to encourage? You're going to overemphasize who you are because you can't control what you're not. What you can control is who you are. And Kapler is an analytics stats guy. Mm -hmm. So he went all in with that, probably to the point of it restricted some of his 180-degree peripheral vision, which led to some classic, quote-unquote, rookie mistakes, right? Which is what it is to be human. It's what it is to be natural. But as soon as that happened, everyone who was against analytics was all over him. But now, a full year later, with a ton of off-season acquisitions, Based on the predicated on the numbers, McCutcheon was getting criticized for not hitting well against the shift. But now that he's a Philadelphia Philly, and in unfortunately they're lost, he goes deep, mm-hmm. all right, on a bases loaded double against the wall. It looks as if he's returning to old form. Well, is that is that the culture of the organization that's emphasizing numbers? Is that the Bryce Harper effect where everyone's raising their game, or is it Gabe Kapler saying, "Hey"? I'm comfortable with this lineup. Go out and do what you do. I think he's finally going to say, I'm comfortable with this lineup. Go out and do what you do. Why do you think that? Because he, I, I just, I don't know. It's just different. It's a different feel than last year. I think he, I, I can feel him feeling more comfortable with this lineup, like when he speaks about it. Yeah. Foxy, let's go to number two. This is Behind the Pinstripes. And while this techno talk might not be easily understandable to the average fan, we brought in Tommy Joseph to see how it translates to the field. Could you give an example of one of the figures or statistics that the team has given you that has helped you most in your preparations for games? Something that I've really paid attention to within the last couple of days is the uh, hot and cold charts for uh, a pitcher and his pitches. It'll have the chart for his fastball, his, his curveball, his slider, his changeup. Really, the, the hot zone where he throws most of it, most of the time, and then it'll have the two-strike version as well. So you really can kind of have a game plan. It's hard to hit Major League Pitching when a guy's got four-plus pitches. So when you're able to eliminate two of those in certain counts, it, it helps you. It gives you that mental advantage of, all right, these are the two that I'm looking for, and then you can start working on your visualization process. That's Tommy Joseph from a couple years back with the Philadelphia Phillies, and he's talking about the value of statistics and how it impacts his bottom line. That was a a college uh, educational format that the Philadelphia Phillies hosted with Clintac and uh, the the R&D director, uh, Andy, I can't remember his last name, (laughs) um, and not to be confused with the other Andy uh, with the Philadelphia Phillies organization. And what those Q&A discussions I think are really about and the value is getting the player's perspective because when you can forecast some type of player performance then the athlete is going to start to take notice to that because now they're going to see it as what the information uh, does for them regarding insight but more importantly how does it impact how they train how does it impact their development and I think that's the crossover The more that you can bring in players and speak to how analytics supports their development, not in place of, not dictating, but supports, that's the the golden key that I think every general manager is trying to unlock. Most would make the argument that the Houston Astros have already done that. Mm -hmm. It brings me back to Chase Utley when he was with the Phillies in his prime. Mm -hmm. He was the first player, I was young, that I knew he would study pitchers before he went into games. And that's why he was so clutch, I think is the right word. Oh. McClutchin. 
student of the game. Yeah, he he was the first player that I knew did that. Before every game, he would study the pitcher, and that's why he would, you know, he he would know the pitches that he would he would literally study from. If you're in this count, when there's base, when there's a player on base, like where where is he going? So when he's on when he's on deck, he'd be like, all right. Also, an instinct. The play he made in the World Series, we all Whoa. stuck out when he when he had the ball pump fake. And then the guy went home and he fired the home, got the guy out at the plate. Baseball that's, IQ. That's a yeah. That's it. There's some people that have that, and others do not. He does. Well, that goes back to A Rod's point of this game has a heartbeat. This game has a human element. If they anticipate where the ball's yeah. hit to be, what am I going to do? That's that's part. That's part of it as well. It is, but I think also too modern day people would suggest maybe not so much in that particular instance. When you look at Bryce Harper in the opening series, when they have the cameras are all over him, just kind of doing his thing out in right field, they actually caught him on film going to his back pocket when the next batter oh, would come that. up. Right? I didn't even know that he did that. And he made an adjustment three feet to his left, yeah. three very pronounced steps. So now they're actually going over when it's plus three, minus three. What the, that size of that step? It's almost like the the NFL referee who's so accustomed to walking off penalty yardage that they know how many uh, the the length of a stride is equating to one yard or three feet. It's very pronounced steps that they're taking. They're not just kind of casually grazing to their right or to their left. They're taking pronounced steps because they've been taught, they've been shown what placement looks like and how that impacts. They're, they're actually quantifying the the, the range uh, of the area that they're covering. Yeah. Right? It's like a hilarious video of Yasiel Puig. <laughs> he just, <laughs> like, they know the batter. Same thing with Bryce Harper. You know, you're moving towards the batter. And, I mean, Puig just stands there with his hand up. The ball just goes directly to his glove, and then they just get out of the inning. It was—it's actually—it's really funny, like right. how well they knew that player was going to hit right there, based on the numbers. Based on the numbers, right? Based on the statistics. And then when you think about that and how it starts to impact, I mentioned earlier the Astros, Foxy. Let's go to number four. This is math and baseball, and how sabermetrics, some would suggest, propelled the Astros to victory. And the Astros have used data to help produce wins. You know what the plan is. It's just executing. So managers and coaches can look at where hitters most often hit the ball to shift their players. That's why you might see shortstop Carlos Correa playing closer to where second baseman Jose Altuve normally plays. They can also pull data on what opposing hitters like to hit and switch out pitchers accordingly. The Astros clubhouse have become masters at this, but John Elliott, an associate professor of sport management at Texas A&M and a psychologist who works in clubhouses, says numbers can take you only so far. Watch these guys play play and you see how loose and relaxed you are. That's because he says the Astros have been focused on culture and not just wins over the last three years. What the Astros are doing are focusing on what is that stuff that creates winning. Investing in young players who mesh and putting them in a positive environment. If you've got a great culture and you're focused on day-to-day executing that culture, in other words, the guys in the locker room, they go there not to win a ball game, but to help each other play great and to play great baseball. Right? And that's one step removed from winning. They're one of only a handful of ball clubs using both schools of thought to take them farther than they've ever been. So, Jesse, when you hear that and you hear about how culture and stats, I, I put together my own little equation, right? C plus S, parentheses, to the power of two squared. What's the power of two squared? So it's culture. Plus stats. Plus stats. Squared. Squared. <laughs> equals 
success. Okay. That's my little yeah. that's my little holistic equation. So, so for me that's like using the human element plus the statistics so you're balancing it out. Correct. And you get success. Yes. So why is it that the Houston Astros have figured out that equation and it's not necessarily something that is written on the bathroom wall. It's not something that's out there in a handbook. Why is it that certain people in baseball, when you look at someone like the Houston Astros and where they started and the changes that they made, and not only the success that they have had, but the consistent success, why isn't everyone, people say that Major League Baseball, like most professional sport organizations, are copycat leagues. Why aren't everyone copying the Astros? I think everybody always wants, they look for a new thing to get better all the time. So I... I don't actually know the answer of why the Astros decided to do that. Maybe it was because of Moneyball, <laughs> you know? Well, everyone makes the argument that what we are loosely calling in our generation Moneyball was the movement. Individuals like Bill James, yeah, who, Bill James. who cut away the, and I hate to say this, it pains me to say it. Watch me bleed, Jesse. The emotion has been yeah. removed from decision-making. Yeah, he made a comment that kind of went up in arms right about how players are basically not like not human foxy coming from uh, an older generation when i say emotion is removed from decision making in baseball how do you feel about that i'm right i'm right there with you because it uh, takes out the bravado that used to be in there that uh, is now gone where they said i can get this guy out and then they no we don't think so against a left-handed pitcher it, t- it takes it all out where years ago go go right after him or as a hitter you know, doesn't matter if it's right-hander or left-hander. You hit them. That's yeah. if the go, ball goes over the plate. You know, if they had if they had analytics, would they would they platoon Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig against left-handers? I don't think so. No, but 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 now people, uh, you know, when you when you look more about the Statcast movements and how uh, like a Tom Verducci, yeah. who's who's heavily uh, involved, maybe even invested in Statcast, who's all over uh, the media productions of what Statcast is doing and how they the uh, the the speed by which the data is being collected and in a matter of 90 seconds after a home run is hit they can turn it into exit velocity they can turn it into launch angle because it's it's uh, it's a 360 degree environment that these uh players are now executing their game in and we as 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 fans are bearing witness to we see it once and it's done and we quickly look for the replay meanwhile at that light speed something like 600 hertz or 600 revolutions per second, they are processing information and now making sense of it for an entirely different level of what most people would call entertainment. Because now it's a different reason to watch the game, which now tops at the, taps into the human psyche of it all. What do you feel about that? About StatCast? About how it might make us more entertained even though it's oh, predicated yeah. heavily on mathematics and what most people call analytics. It's like taking, it's always just taking it to the next level. I mean, when you like see Bryce Harper, I mean, you look at his exit velocity, and you're like, oh, my God, look at that number. Like, you're getting this new stat. And it's, Carlos Stanton. Yeah. Right? When oh, you talk God, about, yeah. But, but, but again, but, but they, uh, Verducci actually made the point, no one hits the baseball hardo, harder than Carlos Stanton. Nobody. But what if... What about when the next Carlos Stanton comes 30, 40 years from now? 
the argument is now made StatCast, the notion of StatCast allows us to compare the next Stanton mm-hmm. to him now to actually determine who hits the ball harder. And there's some type of great debate in that. There's interest in that. Whether you believe in analytics or not, it's, it's, it's activating something different in how we watch the game. And it gives us reason to believe in the game. It gives us reason to, to sit our child down and, and say, look, there, there's something that you can learn here. If you want a level of success, um, yes, it's based on numbers, but it's not in place of hard work. Because how you get to that, I talk to Jeff Manto about this all the time, exit velocity, launch angle, are products of sound mechanics. But in today's world, when you look at Instagram, athletes are striving for launch angle and exit velocity as a goal. And they are abandoning mechanics. We're forgetting how we get there because we're so enamored by the outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, Foxy, let's wrap it up with Reese Hoskins. This is him talking about the difference of gut feeling versus analytics. Number six, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sir. wondering if you, as a major leaguer, playing for a manager who is a very analytics-driven individual, uh, mm-hmm. what you think about that? If you think that's an accurate portrayal of what's gone down in baseball mm-hmm. right now? Well, I think especially in the postseason, um, you know, I think especially now in the World Series, but I think these managers kind of have a no-stone unturned type of mentality um you know if the matchup says that this is the best matchup to um you know sway the game in their favor i think you kind of have to to listen to that now obviously like you talked about there is a little bit of human element involved and i think um what's usually tends to work the best is a blend of the two i think last year when the astros won I believe I remember AJ Hinch saying, "Yeah, there are some decisions there. I kind of just made it as a gut, a gut call, and obviously it ended up working out for them. They end up to go on to win the World Series. But I think if you have a blend of the two, um, usually gives you the best chance to win." Yeah, I think that's a nice conclusion of everything that we were just talking about, bringing the human element with the analytics. Dave Roberts last year may have outmanaged himself by different lineups and he left Bellinger on the bench for for three games and that's, a, that's a one swing of the back could have changed the game yeah yeah he kept saying the blend of the two yeah. and I, I think that's like really where this should have wrapped up with but but good point um the blend <laughs> the blend of the two is is a new equation Uh-oh. right it's it's a new equation so what what I think we should be thinking about and perhaps we can, you know, spill it over into another head game topic is when the opportunity comes, what are we going to do to make sure the blend of any two new things gives us an opportunity to say this is how we're going to do things next? What is it about the two variables when we put them together? that becomes something so unique and so special that uh, that makes sense to people to say, hey, you know what? Let's put those two things together. Let's see what kind of magic we can make. We'll just have to figure that out for the next show. Okay. I'm good with that. And now, Dr. Lee's Mindful Athlete Minute brought to you by Volvo Country with locations in Princeton, Bridgewater, and Edison. I hear my daughter say, I don't want to do my math homework. What's the point? I'm never going to need it anyway. Well, 
Mathematics are at the core of the analytical movement. In professional sports, and most notably in Major League Baseball, computations, equations, formulas, they all lead to something that started as an extension of the game, and now it's become a game all its own. StatCast, Analysis, Radar, and GPS, they're all examples of how science and technology have brought America's pastime well into and far beyond the 21st century. Does technology have that much of a right, a place to sit at the round table of sports? Equal say in the modern era? Do we need and benefit from knowing the mathematical of why our game is pitch by pitch? The truth is, whether you like it or not, analytics, they're here to stay. The once movement turned revolution is now a subculture within the game that is slowly becoming a stitch that weaves the fabric of sports interlining. Old school, new school, scouts, analytics, dead ball versus PEDs. They're all numbers that represent an aspect of your game that you watch. The debate remains the same. Streamline or snail, good or bad. Yes, the math appears to have stood the test of time and persists. But now matters. How you add it all up, it's still how you play the game. And the numbers that predict outcomes, they remain the same. Sometimes you win. Sometimes you lose. Sometimes it rains. I'm Dr. Lee Piccarello, and that's my Mindful Athlete Minute.